What's up, Ace 12? How you guys doing tonight? Dude, what an incredible, incredible night we've already had, man. Getting to see people's lives who have been changed, deciding to follow Jesus, the greatest decision of your life. And then on top of that, unbelievable, amazing, powerful worship, man. So cool. So thank you guys for being here tonight, man. I want to I jump right in. And before we do, I want to talk a little bit about where we were yet, where we were at last week. We're in this series called Circles. And we talked about last week how the most important thing, the very first thing we need to start with when we talk about the mission for your life is putting God at the core. And, and if you remember last week, we, talked, we told the story uh, in Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we talked about how Nebuchadnezzar uh, built this massive statue in the plains of Dura and he, uh, of gold of himself. And he wanted everyone to worship him, to bow down before him. And if you didn't, then he would throw you into this fiery furnace. But there were three guys who decided to take a stand for God that said, listen, you can scare us with whatever you want to scare us with, even with death. But we will not bow before your statue because we serve the one true God. And we talked about last week that there are three types of people that we can all relate to in some ways. Some of us are like, some of us are like King Nebuchadnezzar. We're image builders. It's all about building our image. It's all about us climbing the ladder. It's all about us getting to the top. And the only reason that we would not build a 90-foot gold statue of ourselves is because we can't afford it. And we talked about how we try to build and create an image on social media, how we want people to think that we are better than we are because none of us post our failures on social media. And we talked about that. And we talked about how we all struggle with being image builders. This was the sin of Adam and Eve. It was the sin and the reason why Satan fell from heaven. This was what it was all about. It was all about them climbing to the top, them wanting to be the God of their life, them wanting to have all the power. And we all have that temptation to be image builders. And then we talked about the crowd, that there would have been many of people of God that would have been present there in, uh, 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 along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but the only people that were accused were these three men. Where were the other people of God? And I talked about how there are thousands of students in Gwinnett County that attend youth groups just like this every single week that fill the halls of your schools. But when I talk to students and I say, hey, tell me about the presence of God on your campuses, I hear them say things like, dude, I don't really know that many people that follow Jesus. I don't really know that many Christians. I don't really know anyone sold out for Christ. Well, why in the world is that the case if all these kids are involved in youth groups all over our community? It's because as Nebuchadnezzar was an image builder, they are image bowers. See, everyone else bowed. The moment that pressure came, they bowed down to the image. We do that all the time. The crowd always bows. Jesus even says this, and we talked about this last week, that there's this broad road that lead to, leads to destruction, and many find it. But there's this narrow road that leads to life, and few find it. It is counterintuitive. It is going against the grain to take a stand. But then there were the three men. They were not image builders. They were not image bowers. They were image bearers. Now, we are all bear the image of God as image bearers of him, but, but they bared it in that they carried the image of God. That they didn't care what anybody else says, they were going to take a stand. Even if God didn't deliver them, they said, we will not bow before your statue. And we know the rest of the story. God did deliver them. And it's an incredible story. I challenge you to go read it in Daniel chapter 3. And what they got 
that most people don't get is that in order to stand, in order to be in that place, in order to position yourself in that way, you have to understand that God has to be at the core. God has to be at the core. And the importance of God being at the core is that when God is at the core of your life, you change. Why? Because God changes things. God changes things. I think one of the greatest indicators to know whether God is at the core of your life is to look at your life six months ago and see how much has changed. Because when God is at the core of your life, when he's the object of your affection, when he is your everything, when he is at the center, then things change in your life. It's not because you are changing them. It's because God is changing them in you. That's what I loved about one of the testimonies over here that, you know, I didn't feel like I was ready and I was doing all this stuff and, and I was, I was trying, to, trying to get things right. And I didn't feel like I was ready to get baptized because I had to get all these things right. But then I came to this realization that it's not about my own strength trying to get things right. It was about God working in me and I had to let go. Man, that's the story of all of us. None of us have the power or strength in us to overcome anything. It is only by the power of God working in us that we can have victory. It is only by the power of God working in us that we find full life. Full life. And that's what this series is about. It's about the mission of 12 Stone Church, that we exist to inspire life, share life, and give life. For Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Last week, we talked about inspire life, and we inspire life at 12 Stone by having people encounter God with him being at the core of their life. And then this next part of that is that they share life, that they share life. We're going to talk about share life tonight. We're going to talk about community tonight. And I want you to see how community, how we share life together comes out of God being at the core of our life. It is, a re, it is a reaction to that. I want, I want you to see this. If you've got your Bibles, open up the first John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And uh, we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. And, uh, and I want to read this to you. I want you to pay attention to the words. This is, this is so good. Because I would say this. It is impossible for you to have an encounter with Jesus and it not change your life. It's impossible. And these students that got baptized testify to that. And I want you to listen to what he says. 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this. If we claim to have fellowship with him. So we're saying if we claim that God is our, at the core of our life, if God is who we have relationship with, we call ourselves a Christian, we're saying we have fellowship with him, then I want you to notice what it says. Yet, and, and yet walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. In other words, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet there is no change in our life from the darkness that used to be in our life or that still exists in our life, then we lie and the truth is not in us. Then I want you to notice what he goes on and says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice what the result is. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. And I want you to notice this correlation here. Notice what it says. How do we have fellowship with one another? Well, back up. It says, if we walk in the light. If we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. This is what I found. Light attracts. Light attracts. And if the light of Christ is in you, then that attracts people to you. 
The kindness of Christ working in you attracts people to you. In fact, I'll give you an experiment. Tonight, go home, close the bedroom door or uh, bathroom door in your house, turn off all the lights where it's pitch black, light a candle, and set it in the room. And try not to look at the light. You can't. Your eye is just drawn to it. It doesn't matter where you look. You can see the light, and you're drawn to the light because light attracts. And when you look through the Bible, there are over 120 one another injunctions that talk about how we are to be with one another. Things like pray for one another, encourage one another, build up one another, confess your sins to one another, bear your burdens to one another. The Bible goes to great lengths to show us that our faith and what happens in the core affects what happens outside of us. That, there, that, that, that this relationship with God pours out of us into others. And let, let me tell you the type of people that I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with and be around people that encourage me. I want to be around people that bear my burdens. Let me tell you something, man. We have students in this room that are going through some heavy, heavy stuff. Painful stuff. Stuff that you should never have to go through. And you know what the church is supposed to be? The people of God are supposed to be? We're supposed to be people that bear your burdens. I want to be friends with people that pray for me. I want to be friends with people who I can confess my sins to and, and I know that they're going to hold that in confidentiality and they're not going to go and throw all my junk all over social media and all this kind of stuff and they're going to support me. That's the type of people that we want to be friends with. Those are the type of people we want to hang out with. And the Bible is telling us here over and over and over again that if God is at the core of your life, that's the type of person that you're going to become. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit come out of you when you live your life for God, when you place Him at the core of your life. People are attracted to those kind of people. People are attracted to the kindness in other people. And so the first point I want to make if you're taking notes there is that you are created for community. When we talk about share life, we talk about this being a part of the mission of 12 Stone Church, and the mission of 12 Stone Church is the mission of our student ministry, that, man, we exist to share life. And God has created us for community. That is why we have that. And we know this, we know that we're relational beings and God who has eternally existed, God who has eternally existed and God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit has dwelled together in perfect unity and perfect love and perfect joy and perfect peace with one another. And God has created us, the chief of his creation in his image so that we would put on display for all to see God's perfect love and unity and joy and peace. And this isn't just so we can put it on display for our relationship with him, but also for relationship with others. See, we see this, that even when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love God with everything. It is at the core of your being. It is the core of who you are. And the second of these is to love your neighbors yourself. It used to always confuse me when I would read that because I was like, man, why in the world did Jesus give him two? The guy asked him what the greatest commandment was, but Jesus gave him two. Jesus says, love God and love others. Why did he do that? I think because you can't separate the two. You can't separate the two. 
Because people who love God love others. And I think this is what Jesus is saying. If you claim to love me, but you do not love others, then you have completely missed it. Because if you truly love me and I'm at the core of your life, then you will bear one another's burdens and you will pray for one another and you will love one another and you will confess your sins to one another. This is the response of God being at the core of your life. This is who we are. This is what we represent. And so I say that because my greatest desire, my greatest prayer for this ministry, for this church, for high school at 12 Stone, is that when you come into this place, you would feel like you are in a family of people like that. Like that. That you're in a place where people want to connect with you, where people want to love you, where people want to support you, because we all need that. We all need that community. You were created for it. You can't escape it. Not only were you created for it, but I would say this. One of the most desolate places to be in life is to be lonely. One of the most painful places to be in life is to be lonely. Some of the greatest Seasons of compromise in my life came out of loneliness. Loneliness is a killer. Loneliness leads to depression, and studies show that one in five people are depressed because of loneliness. Depression is a real deal. It's been all over the place and all over the news in the last 24 hours. A great comedian icon, Robin Williams, who took his life yesterday. Depression. Loneliness is a killer. In fact, studies show us this. We even see this in married people. Some of you are like, I ain't never getting married. I ain't going to put myself through that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to play the field. Sure you are. Sure you are. <laughs> Let me show you what some of the studies say. Single men, just showing the core of the importance of relationships, single men have a mortality rate 250% higher than married men. Meaning that if you are a single man, you have a 250% chance, higher chance of dying earlier than me. That's what that means. Single women have a 50% higher, uh, higher rate. Single women have a 50% higher rate, mortality rate than married women. Having a spouse can decrease your risk of dying from cancer as much as adding 10 years to your life by being married. Single people spend longer in the hospital and they have a greater risk of dying after surgery. Based on life expectancies, listen to this. Based on life expectancies, 9 out of 10, 90% of married men and women who are alive at the age 48, at age 48, are still alive at age 65. 9 out of 10. 60% of single men. 60% of single men are alive at age 65. And 80% of women. All kinds of research goes into this. Community matters and relationships matter. Community matters, relationships matter. This is how God designed it. In fact, I think it's cool that 
God, even before sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, God said that there was something that wasn't good. And that he said this, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. That God created in us this desire and God created us in a way to, in, to show the greatest expression of his love for us as we love other people. So, I want to talk just for a minute about H12. There's a couple thoughts that I have. And I want to throw these out here to you because I think that this is at the core of who I am. One of my greatest goals for H12, apart from from students connecting to Jesus, is this is that no student will ever come here and feel alone. You may feel alone in your life. You may feel alone at home. You may feel alone in school. You may feel alone in almost every avenue of your life, but I never want you to feel alone here because you should never feel alone in the church. And I know there are people that come here and they feel alone. And you know whose fault that is? It's ours. It's mine and it's yours. And I want to challenge you here tonight to make sure that every student that comes in this place never feels alone. No one should ever walk in this room and not have someone to sit with. If you see someone, you're hanging out with your group of friends, some of you know like 50 people here, and you're all over the place and all this kind of stuff, and you see someone come in and they don't know anybody, man, you go and pull them in, introduce them to some people, say, hey, man, I know somebody that goes to that school, connect with them. I mean, pull them in, help them feel like this is a place who actually cares about them, that, that loves them, that wants to bear their burdens for them, because that is who we are. That is our DNA. That is who we are. That is why from 6 to 7 p.m every Thursday we have the music going we have stuff set up on the bridge we have nine square in the air and spike ball and all that kind of stuff the reason is because we want you to come from six to seven o'clock if you can come early so that you can hang out and build relationships with one another so that you can grow in your relationships with each other so that you know other people around here it's difficult when you walk in the doors in the back and there's people lined from the front all the way to the back doors you can't find a chair and then you sit down and then it's over and then the, as soon as it's over you're immediately out the doors you never get to know anybody and then I have parents tell me yeah my kid doesn't come anymore because he just didn't didn't meet any friends didn't have any relationships well, we have avenues for that here in about three or four weeks uh, we launch our connection groups again so what that means is, is that immediately following the service we break out into these connection groups which are kind of like these small groups and the whole point of those groups is for students to be able to connect with one another to make a large ministry feel small so there's like 15 students in a room versus like you know 300 people in a room and so you're able to kind of connect and go deeper with people and, and, and relationally and all this kind of stuff and listen they are so strategic we don't want to talk about the message in there we don't want to go deeper about any kind of stuff we just want you to hang out. We want you to get to know each other because we realize that very few students know each other deeply because they always want to talk about all kinds of other things except for getting to know each other. And that's why we do it. They're called connection groups because we want you to connect with each other. We want to create biblical community here, something that lasts beyond the walls of this building. We want you to have the phone numbers of every person that is inside of your connection group. We want you texting each other on a regular basis and, hey, man, let's hang out. Hey, man, let's do something. That's what we want. That's our desire. We want people to be connected. We want people to be drawn in. 
We want people to know that I have somebody I can call if I'm in trouble. Connection groups. That's why we do it. We were created for community, and this is, this is why we do these things. Not only that, but <clears throat> um, I think that I think that one that, that I have a couple thoughts that, that I want to share because some of you in here may feel may feel like you know you're alone in that. And the first thought is, man, we got to step up and we got to make sure that that doesn't happen. And the second thought, and that is, is that you got to put forth the effort to get to know people as well. That it goes both ways. That it goes both ways. And I don't want anybody to feel alone in here. And I don't want you to feel alone because I want you to put forth the effort, and I want everyone else to put forth the effort to get to know you. There should be multiple people in here that know your name and know who you are. That's the kind of ministry we want to create. Is that the kind of youth group you want to be a part of? Yeah? I don't think you guys are that excited about it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate that, Josiah. See, man, I know him. The second thing I want to point out to you in Scripture here is that uh, is when community is at its best. Last week I talked about Christians. I said I said I was asked this question, which I've never been asked this question before, and you know I had to think about it for a second. But they asked this question: Christians are at their best when blank, and Christians are at their worst when blank. And this is what I came to: Christians are at their best when they decrease, and Christians are at their worst when they increase. Christians are at their best when they decrease. Christians are at their worst when they increase. John the Baptist says, "He must increase; I must decrease." And I think community is at its best in Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, open over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to go. The church has just began. God's doing some crazy stuff. 3,000 people come to know Jesus in one day. I mean, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 42, I want to read this. It'll be up here on the screens. And I want you to notice how the church responded to each other. I want you to notice how the people of God, because God was at the core of their life, how they interacted with each other. Check this out. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So they devoted themselves to teaching. Now, by the way, every time the Bible says fellowship, which we saw fellowship in 1 John, fellowship is something in the, in the, in the Greek language, is something that is far deeper than just kind of hanging out and having fun with one another. The word literally means to share life with one another, that you are getting below the surface, that you're sharing things about your life and you're encouraging each other and you're praying for each other and you, you don't have to you don't have to be on guard and you can actually be vulnerable with people that you have fellowship with because you know that they're going to care for you in the right way and care for your heart. And so they devoted themselves to teaching and the fellowship. That's what we're doing tonight, man. We're teaching breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were coming together and they had everything in common. Did they have everything in common? See, I think this is what this means. They came together and God was such at the core of their life that when they spent time together, it's not that they necessarily maybe had the same hobbies in common. They may not have dressed the same. They may hang out in different groups of friends, but everything seemed like it was in common with one another because they were so on fire for God and it was just coming out of them and everything was so natural and so easy as a result of that. And I want you to notice this. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who was in need. They knew the needs of each other and they were meeting needs. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together uh, with glad and sincere hearts. They, They spent time together. They were having meals together, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then I want you to notice what it says here. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Man, I want to see... 
I want to see thousands of students come to know Jesus because he is the only hope for them. He's the only hope for you. How does that happen? The early church grew because people wanted to be a part of what God was doing through the people in the early church. Man, this is what the church is supposed to be. This is where the church got its name. Some people have bad thoughts about the church. Some people have bad experiences with the church, but this is how the church is supposed to be. This is biblical community. This is the way that brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to be with one another, which by the way, I don't think it's by accident that throughout scripture, we see this picture of the church being like a family. That God is the father and we are his sons and daughters and we are brothers and sisters to one another. Look at the person beside you and say, what's up, bro? What's up, sis? That's right. <laughs> Listen. See, y'all like community so much, man, you just can't stop it when it gets going, you know? Like, they're like brothers and sisters, man. They were family. You know what family does? Family protects each other. Family watches each other's back. Family are there for each other through thick and thin, no matter what their need is. There's a depth to this community. There's a depth to what it means to be in the church. And that's why we do life groups. That was good. <laughs> Was that a dude? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why we do life groups. Listen, we do life groups because we want people to go in deeper community with one another. We realize that on a Thursday night, it is impossible. One night a week. Remember it said in this passage, they did not stop meeting together. They were meeting together all the time. Life groups are an environment that are on Sundays that we do 12 weeks in the fall and 12 weeks in the spring, which sign up start tonight. They go for the next three to four weeks. Yes. And if you've been in life groups, you know how awesome they are. And we want you to get connected in life groups because they're about going deeper. It's about accountability. It's about talking you through how to have a deeper walk with God. It's a place where you can be vulnerable. It is a place of confidentiality. And this is what we say. If you share something in a life group and someone shares that outside of that life group, that person's never allowed to come back to that life group. Never. We protect that environment. This is for students that are serious about their walk with God, students that want to grow, students that want to be discipled, students that want to take territory for the kingdom of God, students that say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but man, I want to get it figured out. I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray, but I want to figure that out. So I'm going to get involved in this life group, and I'm not just going to sign up for it, but I'm going to commit to it, and I'm going to stick it out to the end because family doesn't give up halfway through a semester because our schedule gets busy. Preach it. All the leaders are going, amen. Like 10 people showing up the first six weeks and then, oh, yeah, like four to the last week. Commit. Why don't we do life groups? We do life groups because we want to create that community, and Jesus modeled it. 
Jesus takes 12 guys. He pours in and invests in his guy's life for three years. They eat together, sleep together, hang out together. They're with each other all the time. They're doing ministry together. This is the design of life groups. We model it after Jesus. This is the model that Jesus set before us. This is why we do small groups. We don't do it because we think it's just some cool thing. We do it because it is the right thing. It is the God thing. And we have deep convictions about it. And you need to be involved in a small group because it will change your life. I promise you it'll change your life. It will change your life. All right, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? First is this. You need to be the church, and you need to reach out to students that you don't know. Show kindness and God to them. Secondly, you need to commit to a church. You have to be consistently committed to a church. Biblical, this biblical community does not take place if you are not consistent because you can't have consistent relationships with people. Some people are like, man, I don't know anybody in the church. I don't know anybody in the youth group. Yeah, it's because you come like once every six weeks. You can't get to know anybody that way. You got to be committed. You got to be committed to the church. And when I say committed, I say, man, you need to be serving in that church. You need to be in a, in a group at that church. You need to be in a worship service at that church. We, our generation, I'm in your generation, believe it or not. Our generation, I, I call our generation in the church world, I call us the church hopping generation. And we create these, these terrible habits, our generation. And this is what we do. We think we're being all spiritual. So we go to this youth group on Monday night, this one on Tuesday night, this one on Wednesday night, this prayer thing on Friday night, this thing on Saturday night. And we're like, man, I'm just getting fed. I'm just soaking all in. I'm just super Christian. I'm going to all these Christian things. No, no, no. What you are is you are a consumer. And you're not giving back. You're not serving. You're not going deep. You're not able to build anything that's lasting because it's all about you. Man, you want to hear some great sermons from some great preachers? I listen to great sermons all the time. I listen to, on occasion, uh, there are weeks where I listen to at least a sermon a day when I'm working out or when I'm driving from school and here and there. And I just listen to it on my iPod when I'm driving here and there. You want to listen to sermons? Listen to sermons. But when I'm talking about going to a church and getting connected and committed and all that kind of stuff in a place, you need to be connected and committed in a place. And I want to free you up. If age 12 isn't the place, man, go somewhere else where you're going to grow and be committed and serve and be in a small group. Love God. Grow in your relationship with him. I care far more about your relationship with Jesus than I care about you being here uh, in this ministry. If another ministry you're going to be committed at and serve in and grow in and be connected to. I'm not saying you can't visit another youth group every once in a while, check out another church. I'm just talking about we live in a church hopping culture. And what happens is, is that it's whatever flavor we like the best. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You guys are going to become adults one day and you're going to go to a church and then the pastor's going to say something or the band's not going to be what you like or the new church is going to come in town and you're going to be like, man, I like that preacher better. Or I like that music better. And you're going to leave that church and go to the next cool thing down the street. And it ain't about going to the next cool thing. It's about going deeper in your walk with Jesus. It's about sticking it out. It's about building something that's lasting in a place and letting the gospel shine through your church to every person that's around. That is what the New Testament church was all about. We've lost that and we've got to reclaim it church I'm off my soapbox now I'm sorry guys I got a little fired up today when I I'm not sorry number three <laughs> the third thing you need to do is this you need to get into a life group and life group signups like I said it tonight you must sign up and you must commit do it 
I want to close with this. Here's my final thought. God loves his family. God loves his family. I love my family. I'll uh, never forget the day that I walked down the aisle. Yeah. That was it. I think I got another one. Here's, here's the model pose right here. Oh. Yeah, just leave that one up. Just leave that one up. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about it. I, I woke up that morning, and I spent some time with God, and, and it, was, it was just an emotional morning because, man, all the years I'd been praying for this woman... I mean, I started praying for my wife 10 years before I even met her. And I was praying for her, and I was just, just uh, you know, asking God to protect her and guard her and through the years and protecting her purity and all that stuff. And I'd been praying and fasting for her, and God finally brought this most amazing woman into my life. And, and so my, my wife and I, we decided, uh, we decided that we would actually see each other before, you know, before I saw her the first time walking down the aisle. So we, uh, we, we, you know, we, we were all dressed. We were like that. And, um, and, and, uh, they had the church vacated, and, uh, and we went in together, just her and I, and we met down at the altar. This is before we actually, uh, you know, did the thing, the ceremony. And uh, whatever, who cares? And, uh, and, and I'll never forget being there and us just looking at each other and um, crying together, hugging each other, smiling. And so we got down on our hands and knees at the altar of this church, and we just prayed together. And I prayed over her and she prayed over me. And then she went back to where all her girls were and I went back where all my guys were. And, and then I'm standing there and she walks down the aisle. And dude, you, man, you, you could hit me in the back of the head with a baseball bat and you couldn't have taken a smile off my face. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just grinning, you know, and she's walking down and, and I'm like, yeah, you know. And, and uh, so she comes down and she, she's, you know, tearing and all this kind of stuff. And I take her hands. I'm like sweaty and clammy as all get out, you know. This is for life, you know. And uh, <laughs> do I want to do this? Do I? No, I'm just kidding. I did. And, uh, but, dude, it was the most incredible moment. And, uh, you know, and he says, you may kiss your bride. And, and, man, it was just, it was awesome. And, and we went to the reception. We had this big celebration. And, like, it was all a blur. Like, anybody that's been married, you know, like, dude, your wedding day is a blur. You don't remember anything. So save money. Don't spend a lot of money because you're not remembered anyways. And, um. <laughs> So anyways, I just was thinking about that, and I was thinking about just how much I love my wife, how, how, just how happy I was and how happy I am, and just every day I get to go home and I get to be with this most amazing woman who loves me and cares for me and supports me and prays for me, and she's here earlier, and she brings me dinner, and she's hanging out, and she's got her little baby girl, and then she comes over and kisses me, and right before she leaves, she's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you tonight. And uh, she's like, um, she's like, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm here for you. It just means the world, you know. She just loves me so much. And here's the deal. I love my bride, and God loves his bride. When God thinks about us, when God thinks about the church, that's how he thinks about the church. The Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. This family picture is this beautiful picture. And listen, listen, God cares deeply for his family. 
And the truth is, man, I hear people talking smack about the church all the time. I'm like, man, you know that God loves the church. He loves his family. Like you talk smack about my wife, you're going to get smacked. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you'll talk smack about somebody's wife. The church is the bride of Christ and God loves the church and God loves you. And don't you ever forget that. God loves his family. God loves what we're doing here. God is smiling upon what happened tonight. There's a party going on and they're celebrating because people are coming down here and saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus and I want everybody to know it. God is up there smiling at what's happening here because he loves his bride. He loves you. And so God, I just want to pray right now for your bride, the church. I pray God that we would be the church. I pray God that we would be men and women of God to have you at the core of our lives and God that that would make a massive difference in how we interact with one another. I pray that this ministry would draw hundreds and even thousands of high school students to it because we are a one another type ministry. Because students know that when they show up here, they're going to be prayed for, that they've got people that can bear their burdens. They've got people that, that, that will forgive them if they make a mistake. They've got people here who are going to encourage them, people here who are going to build them up, people here who are going to challenge them. And God, I just pray, Lord, that this church, that this ministry would be that. And God, that the ripple effects of that would just be unbelievable. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would do a work in this ministry so great. We're already busting out of this room. God, I pray you would do a work in this ministry so great that by the end of the semester, man, we have to move into the main worship center because we don't have room to put people because of the work you're doing in the lives of people here. Because if we read Acts chapter two and we be that to people, Lord, I know you're going to add to our number daily the people who are being saved because people are attracted to the light. May we be the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.